Let's take up our Bibles and read it this time at Philippians chapter 3. Apostle Paul writes from prison. And everything that he writes is amazing for its reflecting a believing heart. For example, Philippians 3, the first thing the suffering apostle says is, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. That's what he does from prison. Philippians 3, 1 through 14. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord, for to me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh, though I also might have confidence in the flesh, If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. What things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss, For the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. What follows, verses 12 through 14, will be our text for a sermon tonight on pressing on. Not that I have already attained, or I'm already perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold on me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Thus far we read the word of God. May God bless our reading. Bless us with attentive ears now as we hear of this uh, amazing pressing on of the Apostle. In fact, beloved, we need to hear this, and one of the reasons I know this is because this will be the third time that I've preached on this passage to you. We need to hear regularly, as we heard in 2011 and 2016, now also 2023, at the end of a year, what it is we're going to be doing in the years ahead. And one of the most important things we can do is found in this text, is discovered there, even as anew, that we are to press on and that our calling is onward and upward. As the Apostle Paul, we press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Unique is this calling and this pressing on in all the world. Only among true Christians is this calling is this calling something sanctified, a New Year's sanctified resolution, and it is a great and blessed thing when all the saints agree, this is what we'll be doing together as a church of Christ, pressing on, pressing on and aiming toward the goal that's set before us. So we want to consider, beloved, the goal. The Apostle speaks of his pressing toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And then we want to consider just how we're going to do that. And finally, we want to consider the motivation. There is a goal here, and it's not even expressly stated. The goal that Paul mentions is something he's pressing toward, and reaching the goal, there will be a prize after having 
uh, heeded the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's verse 14. But we're not told just what that goal is, what's the aim of the apostle. There's a hint of this, however, in the rest of the writings of Paul and in the context. If you look at verse 11, just preceding our text, Paul is emphatic that his one desire is to know God in Christ, if by any means he might attain to the resurrection of the dead. So that's a goal. Paul wants to attain to the resurrection of the dead. and We can be sure that this is the apostle's goal when he's speaking of this specifically, though without detailing it in our text. The goal in a word is glory. It is the state in which saints, to which saints are taken by the work of God, and they're taken when they go to heaven in their soul, immediately to glory, this place called glory, and then in their bodies they attain the resurrection from the dead, as the apostle says he wants to attain after his life in this body. So he's speaking of a state of amazing perfection and glory with God in a place called heaven. The apostle knows this because he has a bit of this glory already and he's had a foretaste of it so that he wants it. He wants it bad. He's tasted and seen that the Lord is good and that there is glory awaiting him precisely because he's Christ's, and being Christ, he's blessed with glory. This is where it's important for us to know a bit of theology about the whole Bible and the gospel. The gospel is when God gives his son and saves his people in the giving of his son, gives faith to join them to his son, he gives everything that heaven can give, and that's glory. That, in a word, is the place of felicity, happiness, and joy at the right hand of God. In fact, that's enjoyed by us, as is clear from the rest of the Bible, especially the New Testament. So, for example, in Ephesians, we read that we're raised to sit together with Christ in heavenly places now. The eternal life that's given to us, Jesus Christ, the only life that there is, is now a reality. Eternity has begun in time among the sons and daughters and children of God. The apostle as well speaks of the fact that Jesus, who's risen to the right hand of God, is where we are. We are to seek those things above where we ourselves have a life hid with Christ in glory. So Jesus is at the right hand of the Father and we are, as it were, at the right hand of Jesus and all around the throne, praising God. And this is what glory is, the glory of sinlessness, of a transformed state and condition of innocence and righteousness and everything divine that God would give from the treasures, the storehouse of his treasures in heaven. It gives us to participate in what will be the forever calling of the people of God, and they will never be bored doing this, praising God. I was privileged to be a part of the, the choir at Calvin College that performed the oratorio of Handel's Messiah, and every time we sang the Hallelujah Chorus and the Amen Chorus at the end, goosebumps, and you can't help but have those goosebumps if you're a child of God because you know exactly what this, is, this song is about. You know heaven's song. You begin to sing it yourself and you're transformed after the image of God to be fitted for that glorious occupation, calling, and privilege of praising God forever. This is the glory. This is the goal to which Paul is pressing toward. It's what we have now, but it's knowing that there's more to come. And there is a state of sanctification that is now, or there is a condition of our being sanctified that is now not perfect, far from it. Only a small beginning of the new obedience do we have, says the Catechism. And so Paul wants more, and he presses on toward the more of heaven. 
And this is his resolve in prison. This is his statement. He resolves whether he's in prison or not, whether it's the end of the year, beginning of the year, the middle of the year, whatever, that he's going to press toward that goal. And that goal will also enable him to receive a prize. Reaching the goal, there will be a prize, and the prize won't be of merit, as we'll see, but of grace. It will be the the wreath of glory, the crown of the righteousness of Christ, which cannot be, uh, will not be um, put, put him to shame. It will not be something that fades away. The Apostle Paul aims for the highest. He wants to go to heaven. In soul and in body. That's his resolution. And so he wants to do everything that will help him in that pressing on toward that goal of glory. And this is to be an example for us at the end of a year and always. For us as individuals, one goal, glory. For us as individuals and families, one goal, glory. For us as a congregation, one goal, glory, heaven, getting to praise God together in the communion of the saints, a little sovereign grace church there, other churches there, and all of us united, and our names won't be so important, but the name of Jesus will be everything. For this is, in fact, the glory of it all and and what drives the apostle. He'll know Jesus more. He knows the glory of Jesus now, but he'll know Jesus more. He'll know the righteousness of God revealed in him. He'll get to praise God for the love of God. It's now shed abroad in his heart, which will be, however, so evident in heaven that there'll be nothing of evil, nothing of selfishness, nothing of self-pursuit. There will be just the glory of God in Jesus Christ. And just as when Jesus came in the fullness of time and we beheld his glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, just as and a thousand times more we will behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Beloved, can you hardly wait like I can hardly wait for that? In the meantime, the apostle speaking of this goal is reminding us is that this is the goal. The goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The goal. This means that we are to have this goal. And this means that we are to subordinate every other goal we might have as creatures and we have aims and desires But we must subordinate all of those goals to that one goal. There's only the goal, the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It's the goal. We must not lose sight of this. We must not be those who are detracted and who are distracted from our pursuit of the goal by whatever other goals that we might set before us. Other goals we must see as nothing compared to this goal. The goal of getting married. The goal of going on a vacation. The goal of whatever, advancement and work and so on. The goal of leading a fulfilling life and using our talents as chemists and engineers and computer people and builders and and salesmen and and those who deal with people, and those who deal with machines, and so on. Everything must be subordinate to that goal, and certainly we do not want to be distracted by sin, and selfishness, and evil. We have to ask ourselves the question, long and hard, maybe short and sweet, should we go to the bar this Friday night for happy hour? Should we go, and is that helping us to Fulfill the goal, to be kept on the goal and to be ardent about that goal or is listening to this song or is being entertained in this way, is that helping us fulfill the goal, the overarching goal, the one thing that the apostle says is what he pursues 
He says, I press toward the goal, the goal of glorifying God in glory. This reminds us as well, because of this goal, that we're not just drifters in the things of religion. We have goal toward religion. Remember, we preached in Hebrews in our sermons on the Lord's Supper that the glorious Jesus set forth in chapters 1 and 2, that truth of him, is to be taken heed to. We are to be careful to take heed to what God has spoken in Jesus in these latter days. He's God, chapter 1. He's this glorious Messiah, this God come in the flesh, this man who is empathetic and who is this high priest of sinners and so on. Take that to heart, the apostle says, and don't drift by it. Don't drift into church and then just kind of ooze out of church and be in and out of the word of God, but be steadfast in eyeing that one, looking to him, believing in him, the author and the finisher of our faith. Here the apostle is saying when he says that he presses toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, the same thing. Christ Jesus is everything to him. And any other goal that he has must be subordinate to that. So, for example, if the apostle had wanted to marry, which he did not, he would have chosen a mate with whom he could glorify God together. Otherwise, it would be an unequal yoke. And so you men and so you women, if you're seeking a mate, it must be one who is not only compatible, but with whom you can worship and pray and delight in the things of God together with. Whatever we do, the apostle says elsewhere, do all to the glory of God. You see, even though there's this pressing toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, we have many goals in this, in this world. We're a goal-oriented sort of people. And we account those lazy and shiftless who don't have any goals. They don't have any goal for themselves. They don't want to better themselves. They don't want to use their talents. Oh, beloved, and that's good and right and proper to think that way, especially as we consider that whatever we do, we get to do for pursuing the goal of the glory of God. Little things and ordinary things are not extra Christianity, and they're not irrelevant to our pursuing the goal of heaven. In fact, they're intimately Involved in that because Jesus came into the flesh, after all. It was an ordinary human being, if we could say that, though he was God in the flesh, but he did ordinary things like pound a hammer and put things together and obey mom and dad and all of this. And so, as we are those who are pursuing the goal of heaven, let us not be so heavenly-minded that we forget we are on the earth, and all of our goals, whatever we're going to have, are legitimate if they are subordinated and sanctified by the word of God. I'm going to serve God in being a good student, children, in being a good teacher, mom or dad, or whoever else is delegated on your behalf. I'm going to serve God drawing blood. I'm going to serve God pounding a nail. I'm going to serve God even being a preacher in pursuing the goal, not of being a famous preacher, but preaching a famous God. I will give my utmost for the highest. You will give your utmost for the highest in whatever you do. So the goal takes all other goals into it, wraps them in one, the goal of heaven. We're doing all for the glory of God, and to get there together so that not one is left behind. Is that your goal? Is that the goal of this church? We're to press toward it. The Apostle Paul reminds us in verse 12 that he hadn't yet 
arrived at the goal. One thing very important, pursuing the goal of glory, having a bit of sanctification under your belt, as it were, through your experience, having the scars to show it, been around the block, had controversy and so on, don't ever get proud. The way to the goal is the way of humility. I haven't, I've not arrived, Paul says. What an amazing pastor he is. I have not already attained or am already perfected, he says, but I'm pressing on. I got a long way to go. And he, in fact, forgets those things which are reasons for pride in him, as he boasts of in the earlier part of the chapter, as an educational tool. And he forgets those things that are behind, and he reaches forward to those things which are ahead, which are far more glorious. Humility characterizes the person who presses on. And pressing on, you see, is simply a word that means pursue, pursue ardently. It's used, dioko is, of those who persecute the church. Persecutors, as Paul was, hounded the church. They went everywhere they could to find them. They searched high and low and catacombs and houses and everything they could and holds of ships in order to find Christians, to root them out, to lash them, to berate them, even to kill them. This has been the, ca the case in any a, a day when people were living godly, actually, for Christ Jesus and weren't just floating along with the tide and drifting by the gospel as if it wasn't something that moored them by the anchor of Jesus. The Apostle Paul needed humility. Humility would get in the way of his pursuing and pressing on. The word in the Greek for, uh, press, for persecuting and pressing on in verse 14 is pressed toward, related etymologically, according to the root of the word, to pressing pressing toward, pursuing ardently with singleness of mind and singleness of purpose. Whatever it is, you can see Paul is consumed here by this pressing on. He's zealous here. We've heard of that recently, have, haven't we? As Phinehas was zealous for the cause of Christ in the Old Testament and among the people of God who were being seduced by the Moabitish woman, those babes who were brought out to tempt the people of God and who seduced many so that 23,000 were, were slain by God in his anger. Phinehas would have none of it. Phinehas with a spear was a dangerous man because Phinehas was also with righteousness armed with this spear, and he thrust through a man, an Israelitess man, a prince, and a Moabitess woman, a princess, and stabbed them together and was commended by God with covenant and with a priesthood that would be forever, type even of Jesus Christ. Zealous he was. This is Paul. I'm pressing on, as toward nothing else than this goal. Whatever other goals I have, maybe to get out of prison so I can preach the gospel, maybe to take a rest, whatever it is, it's going to serve the furtherance of this goal that is consuming me. And this, beloved, is certainly something with humility, zeal, a great thing for a child of God. Be burning up in your efforts to go to heaven via sanctification. Because this is what's being expressed here in this text. The goal of glory and glorification is reached by sanctification. That's what Paul is dealing with here. This doctrine, this working out of his own salvation this process of becoming more and more holy, of being 
one who does and wills to do the will of God, and it's God working in him, but he is aware that glory within and being justified as a sinner is that which results in this thing called sanctification and the growth in holiness. This is the idea of Paul pressing toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He's aware of a call called an upward call. Unique word. A call that comes from up, from God. It's of God, after all. And a call, a duty which leads to God. It's upward. It's climbing up to attain to God, to attain the prize and the glory of heaven. This is the apostle. He's speaking here of one who is aiming by way of holiness, aiming because he knows the glory of God in Jesus to be holy. And for this striking, for this holiness, Jesus Christ is in fact center. Jesus Christ is the one who is the glorious God revealed, and that's what Paul is aiming for. But Paul knows that the way to attain the sight of God in Christ in the end is to know Christ along the way. Do you know Christ Jesus in your way, beloved, in your path and your work, achieving all your other goals, checking off the boxes of this and that and the other thing? Do you you know Christ Jesus, as Paul did? Look what he says in the context and in our text. He boasts of what he had as a Pharisee and as one who was circumcised the eighth day and who had zeal concerning the church because he he persecuted this and concerning righteousness he was in, in the law blameless. But look what he did. What things were gained to me, these I counted loss for Christ. the beginning of the transformation of the Apostle Paul on the Damascus road, that sight of the glorious Jesus whom he was persecuting and persecuting the body, was the beginning of this Christ-likeness in Paul and this Christ-loving in Paul so that everything that he counted gain in the past was nothing. Nothing. Indeed, he says, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Not just things that he had, which were according to the law, something that boasted him up, but anything else he gained. If Paul was a wealthy man, and he wasn't, he'd have counted that loss if it interfered with his knowledge of God in Christ Jesus. He wanted to know God in Christ and nothing in between. This is a problem for us. I know that because it's a problem for me. We have God, but we have something in between us and God. We have Jesus, but there's something in between us and his cross. So we go so far, but when the heat gets turned up and we're called really to be believing instead of just going along with the crowd and the church and doing the normal things, then we back off. And there's something between us. Some desire we have, some goal, some thing. Some bit of entertainment that we enjoy more than hearing the word of God gets in between us and Jesus, but not for Paul. Everything that he counted as a gain, as a source of entertainment, distraction, whatever he counts, but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Do you see, beloved? Paul's resolution in and for 2024 would have been, I will lose the internet. All the internet provides a lot of knowledge, Lots of knowledge, as I've said before, it's a mile wide and an inch deep. But it interferes, doesn't it, with the excellent knowledge of Jesus Christ. The one thing to know, the one gospel to know, 
He will not be distracted by all of the other things that he, he can know about some tsunami that just struck this coast or whatever. Do we really need to know this stuff? I challenge you, as I challenge myself and I do every year, I will lose the internet. I dare you. Go cold turkey for a month. I know some of you need it for your jobs, but a lot of us don't need it for all the things we do on it. And we could just as well be serving the Lord, no, better serving the Lord and aiming toward heaven by turning off things. Yeah, what's the difference between this and being Amish? Sometimes I don't know. But we're called to live in this world, but not of it. And one way the devil's working hard is by the media. The media of preference is the word of God, God's medium, preaching. The medium of Satan's preference is all the technology that brings everything that you could imagine into your houses. Everything that's neutral, I suppose, knowledge, and lots of things that are bad. Be careful. And children and young people, be careful. Pressing on is not pressing to our bosom things of the earth and enjoying them more than life with God. The Apostle Paul would press on. And the fact that we mention this, this preaching of the word of God as the means of grace that God prefers reminds us that pressing on means we're going to be pressing on as a church preaching here because there's a means God gives and he will use in this new year that's as old as the hills. It's called the oral communication of truth by a man appointed for the, for the work. And Jesus himself authorized this in choosing apostles who themselves would teach others and who have been used of God to build the faith of the people. You see, this is what pressing on actually needs, faith of those who press on, press on, faith. So you come to church, and you come to church regularly, you and your children, and you come to church, and you're ready to hear in the hardest work, which I believe is hearing the preaching, and you come to believe and you come yourself to be affected by the truth so that you don't get in the way of hearing because of your selfish desires and the fact that the preacher actually had to rebuke you. He didn't even know it usually. But Christ has a way of rebuking in the word that's preached so that sometimes you think, well, that preacher must have known what I was doing. Be that as it may, you hear and you believe. Paul himself was focused, zealous and humble and believing. And this is why this Christ Jesus of his, his Lord, his Savior, was everything to him. Because through faith, he found that in Jesus Christ, he could have fellowship and in him he could be saved and he would not have been saved having his own righteousness, which is from the law, but only which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Paul is the preacher of the gospel of grace here. And faith, which joins him to Jesus, gives him to see this. So that everything is Christ, and the prize is the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And so he's zealous. So it's onward and upward. Jesus is everything. So is that with us? I mentioned before zeal. You know, zeal is something that's like a fire. And those who are zealous catch 
That is, they, they catch others on fire. Do you know what Sovereign Grace Church needs? What everyone needs is just one person, one person who's on fire for the Lord. The one person who will intermingle with the people and who will show his light and his flame and who won't be afraid to rub shoulders with the person to bring the word of God to the other so that the other is ignited. This is how God works. Just as the tongue, for example, in James, is a fire. And when there's gossip in the church, there's this yip, 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 yip. It's a wildfire of hell. So when a man of God in zeal for Christ and his glory is pressing on toward the mark and there's holy fire in his bones and in his words, other people who are combustible, that is, who are God's people, eager to be on fire as well, they're lit. So one by one, the whole church is aflame. I am not talking here about some sensational, revivalistic, everything bad about revivalism and revivals and tent meetings and so on that there has been or can be. But simply this, the way that the Bible reminds us we are together in this. This is a personal pressing on, but it's a pressing on together. Know what the Apostle Paul says in the context after our text, therefore let us, as many as are mature, have this mind, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to, to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us be of the same mind. Brethren, he says, join in following my example. Join, brethren, in following Paul's example. I can hear the excuses, but Paul's an apostle. The minister's the minister. They're adults. They're given to that kind of thing. I'm too busy. But Paul says, if you are those who are of the same rule, the same, the word is canon, if you are canonical, if you have the same Bible, that's the revelation of the God who's worth all glory, who's worthy of all our praise, and whose goal of heaven is the greatest thing, then you will hear and not be embarrassed Hear and not be distracted. Hear and not say, it's just for that part of the church or that kind of a personality or for that person who's into theology and so on. Enough of the excuses. The Apostle Paul is in prison of all things. And this may land you in prison being zealous for God with a spear and with the sword of the word. But that's what being near Christ Jesus does. Christianity is not safe. Not meant to be. Jesus is a lion after all. And his rule is all or nothing. Oh, beloved, more can be said for the onward and the upward calling. But I want to conclude with maybe some suggested, with this practical point, subject, uh, some suggested resolutions. Lots of resolutions there are, and we could list thousands of them. But if you make them, or if you don't, think about them. Resolved. I'm going to be thoroughly dissatisfied with myself. <laughs> that's, that's the resolution number one. 
I'm going to be thoroughly dissatisfied with myself. That doesn't sound like a very positive thing. But actually, it's the beginning. Because you don't press on toward this goal, and you don't run, and you don't run the, the way of sanctification. If you're not thoroughly dissatisfied with yourself, that means repentant. That means adding to humility this turning away from that which is your ego, turning away from your inconsistency, hating your flesh, mortifying it, the Bible says, mortify the old man. That's what pressing toward the mark is, and that is what pressing toward the goal is, so that you continually prove that you haven't arrived and you're not satisfied, therefore. There's a restlessness about you. May that be in 2024. And then, this commentator goes on to say, how about this for a resolution? Set your face like a flint toward a sweeping transformation of your life. Set your face like a flint, whatever that is, I forget, toward a sweeping transformation of your life. Don't just go into one room and sweep a little bit. Go into all the rooms of your house, of your life. Go through the register of your friends. Are they helping you? Hurting you? Nothing's neutral, nor is no one or anyone. A sweeping transformation of your life. Now, that's radical Christianity. And the last time I knew, it's the only kind, the only kind of Christianity. Put yourself as well in, in the way of blessing. And this writer goes on to say, it's a mistake to look for grace to visit us as a kind of benign magic. Or to expect God's help to come as a windfall apart from conditions known and met. In other words, as a way of blessing. Like hearing the word of God. Like being friends with true friends of God and not just people who are just together and they share an interest with you. Be careful of this. The Bible says, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. No matter how much you have the same interest in this or that or other hobby. If you're with them and your delight is in them and you're spending too much time in, with them and that only you can tell, there's going to be a yoking together, a values shared together, a values learned together, a compromise so that you don't step on toes and the friends realize that you're not really friends of them because first of all, you're friends with God. Oh, young people, young adults, know this. The world is not a happy playground. It's a hunting ground. And who's going hunting? The devil. Through people who smile and who give you what you want. Put yourself in the way of blessing, in the church, in the means of grace, and before a good book, it's called the Bible, reading, hearing, and believing. Do a thorough job of repenting. Make restitution whenever possible. Bring your life in accord with the Bible and its instruction in the way of righteousness. Here's another one. Be serious-minded. Beloved, there's so many comics out there have you been following this world is despairing and it would despair if not for the comedians the great prophets of the 21st century everyone loves a good comedian good joke and a good site where you can even get clean comedy be careful Life, as I told one friend who was coming into the faith many, many years ago, who was in a vaudeville act, I told him when he showed me a tape of what he 
made with his wife. They were in this gig together somewhere in Arkansas. I told him after he showed me this tape, I said to him, life is not a sentimental journey, which is an old song. He immediately repented, gave up the vaudeville act, and moved to Grand Rapids. He knew exactly that he was thinking of Christianity wrongly. And so many of us, we're not so caught up in the world, we have the right habits and so on, but little by little, we're not pressing on toward the one goal of heaven and achieving the goal through sanctification, walking the narrow way. Begin to witness, of course, that's another one. Have faith in God. All of these other resolutions, beloved, here's the point. Make them all with a view to this one. I will press on toward the mark of the, high, the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I will press on to glory's goal, to sanctification's goal, to the goal of a pilgrim, to the goal of a sinner saved by grace, to the goal of heaven and eternal things. I will press on because my Savior is worthy to live for who died for me and who lives for me. Just be motivated this way. Not that you're trying to merit anything with God. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul is warning against. This is amazing. This Jew of Jews, this Pharisee of Pharisees, who touching the law of God was blameless, he preaches grace. Paul is the apostle of grace. By the grace of God, I am what I am, he says. No doubt he would have appended that word to this. By the grace of God, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. By the grace of God. Note what he says afterwards. Verse 18, many walk of whom I've told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. Apostle Paul will have none of it, none of that garbage of earning something with God. Grace saved him, grace keeps him, and grace is the motivation. He wants to show off the glories of grace. What can grace do? What can God do in me? It's not what I'm going to do for God that he otherwise couldn't do himself. It's what will God do in me? And what can grace do? And what can he do in an impossible situation when it's impossible for me to, to set my sights on heaven, I think, in the midst of all the mess? The motivation is grace. The motivation is to have another motivation. Works righteousness or a kind of skewed view of grace. Well, grace means you're saved and you'll be kept and you'll get there anyway. And meanwhile, you can relax. That's a skewed view of grace. Paul is the example of the responsible Christian who knows sovereignty and who knows the love of God shed abroad in his heart and is not going to use grace as an excuse for lasciviousness and anything less than his utmost for the highest. Beware. But here's a motivation, and it's that same grace of which we have spoken. When you flag in zeal, beloved, when you flag in zeal, and I flag in zeal, again and again and again, and when we fail to keep those resolutions, and we snitch from the refrigerator, we don't read our Bibles, we don't pray as we ought, remember this. Not that God doesn't care, but he knows. And he has these thoughts that he knows towards you. And what are they? What did we hear this morning? Oh, yes. Thoughts not of evil, but of peace. That will be 2024. So we've preached and declared and shouted the truth of the calling. Press on. But after all, 
Many of us slip. It's like we fall down the mountain that we thought we'd gone up at least a little bit. Oh, beloved, let's remember what was said about the men who were climbing Everest one day. And they went to the base camp, maybe 27,000 feet. And they left the rest and they went toward the peak of Everest. They were never seen again. But of them it was said, and they put a marker at that camp, they died climbing. May that be said of us. We live and we die climbing. Onward and upward, beloved, climb. Together, for the glory of God. He is our God. And after all, we climb up, but only because he first came down and suffered in Jesus the wrath we deserve. So the goal is clear. Who shall reach for it? Let us together. Amen. We thank you, Father. Thanks for preaching to us not just once, twice, or three times, but over and over again. You speak to us and you speak with authority. We're all ashamed. One degree or another, everyone who hears, who's truly sensitive to things of the soul, knows how little progress we've made in sanctification. A little glory seems to be of interest to us, or merely of interest not an all-consuming goal. We're sorry. Lord, we pray, give us humility and grace and be humble and avid hikers going up this year and onward this year, forgetting the things of our accomplishments as things that will not gain us heaven by themselves, forgetting all of the sin which is covered by the Lamb's blood, we will press on and we will be confident you will bless us in this year. Thanks, Lord, for your blessing, your presence, and the future hope. Amen.